Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There are so many people who just, who can't make it or who don't engage in the process because they don't understand it or they don't have the right information. So if we can remove some of those barriers, I think we are going to make this a much stronger country because I believe that every voice at the table is what makes us stronger, you know, the strongest we possibly can be. So that's what I love about our country and our democracy. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thank you for joining us for this Friday episode of Pantsuit Politics. We hope you are enjoying the holiday season. Today, we are going to start by sharing a conversation with Lindsey James, who successfully ran for the legislature in Iowa. And then we're going to talk with Carrie Hicks, who is a new senator in Oklahoma. And finally, you're going to hear from Erica McAdoo. Erica narrowly lost her race for the legislature in North Carolina, But Erica is not deterred, and I think you're going to love hearing her reflections and her plans for what's next. We are so happy to be back with Lindsay James, who won her race for the legislature in Iowa. Lindsay, welcome back to Pantsy Politics, and congratulations. Thank you. And thanks for having me on again. Give us an update. Tell us about what happened in your race after we talked with you and what your life is like now as you're getting ready to take on this new role. Yes. Well, gosh, when we talked last 
you know, I still in the throes of the general election. And as I probably said earlier, it's, you know, tons of hard work, lots of knocking on doors, amazing conversations with people. How many Um, doors did you knock on Lindsay? Well, gosh, you know, I, I don't know the specific count. So I knocked on in the primary 8,000 doors. I think it was 8,500 even. And then in the general, we had our entire team. We knocked my district at least three times. Um, so three passes. Um, and my district is about 30,000 people. So wow. how many I did of that personally, I'm not entirely sure the total count. I should have my team look that up, but certainly enough to create a huge callus on, on my knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of broken doorbells in the city of Dubuque. Um, oh, I often no. joke that that will be my first legislative priority. That will not, but <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> funny. there's something we have beautiful, big horse, uh, historic homes as well. So, you know, you, you got to really wrap on a door card. <laughs> if you have a doorbell. So yeah. So lots of knocking on doors. We won, I was very exciting. We won the election with 60% of the vote. Wow. So it was a definitive, you know, decisive win. And that was really exciting for me and our team it just means that I, you know, continue, if we can continue to work hard and represent well, then, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do this for, you know, a good long time. So it went really well. And since then, my life has been quite different. Campaigning is an entirely different ballgame than actually legislating, but you don't get into this work to campaign. I mean, it's, I'm an extrovert, so I love it. And I love people and I love doors and it's one of my favorite things to do. But, you know, you get in there to actually solve the problems and the issues. And so for me, it's a really exciting season. So now I feel like I'm actually getting to do the work that I've wanted to do. What's your sort of onboarding process been? Like, what do you have trainings? Like, I think that's such a fascinating time when you're not quite sworn in yet. And I think it's, it's an interesting thing a lot of people don't know a lot about. It's uh, new to me as well. (laughs) So the day after I won the election, so literally the day after, my inbox was flooded with different organizations' requests to connect. Oh my gosh. Yes. So organizations, lobbyists, special interest, any, you know, constituent with an immediate concern. Everyone wants to meet either for a cup of coffee and have a face-to-face or bring you to a presentation. So a lot of these organizations will put on dinners and breakfasts and lunches and feed you and then do a presentation around you know their legislative priorities and their concerns and what they're hoping for. And it can be anywhere from the city where I live to optometrists in the state. I mean, it's a vast array of organizations and you know, uh, lobbyists and interest groups that really want to help, you know, push forward some of their legislative priorities. So it has been uh, a lot of meetings and a lot of learning, and it's been exciting. Um, I think part of what I love about this podcast, part of what I love about you all is that you are, you know, working in the nuances. And I think that you realize so quickly how nuanced our situations are and how, you know, we often think in black and white terms, but how often gray they are and complex. And I am passionate about, you know, going to the places that, you know, have a lot of challenges and so, and wanting to dig deeply into solving those problems. So I just feel like I'm at my perfect intersection of passion and vocation right now. So it's exciting. Well, and I think it's so interesting because the nuance of it is that, especially as a legislator, you don't have total control. 
you know, I think I don't oh. know how many times I explained as a city commissioner, uh, I don't have any control over that, or that's a state road, or that's a state issue, or like, and even if you're at the state level as a legislator, you're only one vote. I mean, I think it's so it's so funny. It's like people are, are not when they talk to their individual representative, well versed in the idea of a democracy, that it's not right. a monarchy, um, and that we don't just to get to wave a magic wand. But I think that that is uh, that's an, a common sort of reaction. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it is, um, I think one of the challenges for me will be as someone who is, you know, I'm an idealist. I have some, you know, lots of hopes and dreams and passions. And um, you learn very quickly that, you know, it's just, it's not an easy road. Politics are not an easy road. And um, there is so much of the work is building relationships across the aisles and with your constituents and listening and, you know, helping work with people to solve problems. And that is never an easy road. It takes time and getting as many people to the table as we possibly can. So, but I am very hopeful now, just so you all know, um, and the listeners know that I am uh, walking into the minority. So in Iowa, we have what, you know, GOP trifecta. So we have the governor, the Senate and the House are all Republican control. And so um, although we narrowed the margins in this uh, in this election to have maybe picked up quite a few seats, so it does force a few more conversations because unless the right side of the aisle can get all of their votes lock and step, then they're going to have to work with the Democrats to get some votes on issues. So I think that is also something that you are, I'm realizing the challenges of that. So when it's not divided government, one side of the aisle doesn't necessarily have to work with the other side. Mm -hmm. So the checks and balances, you, you realize quickly how vital those are to our democracy and important they are. And I'm waking up to some of those challenges as well. And, you know, but I will keep my optimism and my idealism and just keep doing the work. Um, I believe that at the end of the day, people want to do what is good and right and just, and we just have to figure out how to get there together. And so, you know, I still believe that at the end of the day, that's what we all want. And so I'm not going to give up until we can get there. So what do you attribute that definitive victory in a solidly red state? How'd you get to 60%, Lindsay? <laughs> Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> um, you know, I knocking doors was, I think, the top priority for our campaign and for our team was that I would be having working the hardest and making the most connections with people. And that's not a difficult thing for me. I just, I love people. And, you know, the reason why I got into this was because I think that politics have gotten away from the problems that we face as people, everyday people. And so, you know, for me to return to that kind of politics and leadership in our, in our state and in our country is, is really important for people thriving. And so being at people's doors and being in, you know, having cups of coffee with them and connecting with them has been, I think, probably our greatest strength. I think part of the other strength that we brought to the table in our conversation was I was spent a lot of time recruiting volunteers and trying to empower people to get out there and have conversations with their family and friends and neighbors and get involved. So we actually, I am excited about this statistic, in the state, entire state of Iowa, my district had the highest number of um, absentee ballot request forms out, so people voting by mail, um, and the highest number of early votes in the entire state. So that had to do with me and my team out there every day saying, it's, you know, if you're a young mom and single mom trying to 
you know, get your kids to school and then get yourself to work. It's so, and then get your food on the table at the end of the day. There's so little time to actually get to the polls, wait in line and, and vote. And so, you know, for us, it was trying to, you know, to encourage people to really vote early and vote by mail so that it can make sure that on the day of your vote counts. So that was, I think, also an exciting piece. Um, and then just so you have some context, Iowa is a, you know, swing state, purple, if you will. And we went definitively red in the Trump, uh, with the Trump presidency. But that has been unusual. I mean, we are we're well, we're a swing state, so it, it it really depends. And people do not vote straight ticket here. So when I knocked doors, you know, I would have lots of conversations about the Democrats on the ticket, and each one I'd have to go through specifically because people were weighing who they wanted to vote for. So, but my little pocket of Iowa is Dubuque, Iowa, and that is, you know, it's a it's a city. So we have it's been um, blue for many years. So we have a pretty blue Democratic stronghold in this area. So part of it is just the sheer number of registered Democrats. So that also worked in my favor. Thank you, people of Iowa, for not voting straight ticket. Yeah. Memo to our friends in Kentucky, please stop voting straight ticket. With love. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. I just don't think it should be an option. I do. I just I don't, don't, don't think it should be an option. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting idea. Tell me more about that. Just to r- remove the parties and just have yeah, you just don't. Really do, you have to. Fo- you have to vote. Like you have to go through and know what your who the people are and what you're talking. Like, be educated on the individual candidates. And we're not going to give you the easy, my opinion, lazy option. Yeah. Of voting a straight party ticket. We have a an amazing woman in Kentucky named Jacqueline Coleman. She's a teacher and she's a candidate for lieutenant governor with Andy Bashir and she's she teaches civics and social studies and so she's like hardcore about it she's like no you need to know you should have to know you should have to know yeah. you, who, who you're voting are. for and what these races are about and not just go in there and check a box right right okay so then we have to have figure out good ways to communicate those messages that are accessible mm-hmm. too and not so expensive yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, that would be my, I mean, our mailers, you know, to send out a mailer is, you know, $5,000. Yeah. Oh yeah. To, to do one mailer. And so, you know, and then the TV, you know, so, you know, thinking critically about how do we get those message in people's hands? So, but I like the idea of making people do, do the work. So, you know, in different states they have, um, I mean, if we're talking about voting and accessibility and getting people to vote and the information they need in Oregon, in the state of Oregon, they provide a voting, um, booklet, a pamphlet that Ah. goes to all the voters and it's got information about who endorsed who and a statement from candidates. And, you know, so it gives, but it's in one booklet, it's in one packet. And if you're in Oregon, you're all, um, it's all vote by mail. They have drop-off locations for ballots, um, or you can mail it back uh, for free. So it is, I think, you know, I think if we are truly helping, trying as a country to help people vote, we ought to be thinking about those ways in which, you know, we can make this an easier and more accessible process. Unfortunately, if you say that in Iowa, Iowans love to go to the polls. I mean, there's I mean, it is fun. Yes, yes. 
So, um, you know, so that might be a harder conversation for any Iowans who are listening. But, you know, I do certainly think that there are so many people who just who can't make it or who don't engage in the process because they don't understand it or they don't have the right information. So if we can remove some of those barriers, I think we are going to make this a much stronger country because I believe that every voice at the table is what makes us stronger, you know, the strongest we possibly can be. So that's what I love about our country and our democracy. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. On the education front, you know, I come from doing HR work in a law firm. And during election season, we would bring in candidates of both parties for local races to speak to our entire staff. 
lawyers, legal assistants, you know, paralegals, everybody was invited. The messengers came like it was just part of doing good civic education within our organization. And I would really strongly encourage other people in the private sector to take that on because part of the barrier to getting people educated on civic issues is employment, right? We just, we don't have yes. time because we're at work. Right. So yes. doing lunches where you invite people in to speak to your population, like there are so many benefits of doing that. Yeah. And I, I think that, I, I think a lot about like, could we do voting in our workplaces too? Like why, why right. can't we right. meet people where they are in these processes more? Sure. So I have to say, I, you know, applaud you and your, you know, your firm for doing that because one of the things that um, has been difficult is I think just the concept of voting has um, seemed to become partisan in and of itself. Like if you are a Democrat saying go vote, then it, you know, questionable agenda. If you're a Republican saying go vote, then you get questioned with your agenda as opposed to just go vote. And I think that businesses, colleges, you know, different organizations are afraid to bring candidates in to have those kinds of conversations for fear of, you know, looking partisan and, you know, our political process and our system has just gotten so ugly as it relates to, you know, partisan fighting that people just are afraid to do that. And I can understand that, that fear, but, you know, I certainly think those who are forging through that and saying, no, we want to give our people access to information. I think that's great. So, um, and I know as a candidate, that was a barrier is trying to, you know, find your way into particular audiences. Well, fear is no way to live. So tell me, yes. Lindsay, um, <laughs> yes. what, tell us what you learned in this process and what you want to share with our audience based on your reflections of your campaign. Some of the most deeply meaningful moments in the campaign had to do with immersing myself in people's stories and their realities and allowing people to be heard. As someone who just naturally loves people and wants to connect with people, I didn't, I just assumed that connection was everybody had that, had people to listen to them, connected with people, were able to be heard. And that's not the case. I think one of the surprises was that people feel really unheard, especially in the political conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think people were so grateful to simply have me listen. So I had this one door, I knocked a door of a Republican who um, I was actually looking on my list, you know, I was looking for their college age son. So I had the son on the list and, you know, this, this uh, husband and wife Republican, so their kids Democrat, and they saw me coming and the dad said, no, 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 no. And I said, you know, I kind of said, okay, I get it. You don't want to hear from another politician. And I said, um, I want to, I want to respect that. And I, and then I said, but just so you know, um, if I end up being your representative, um, even though we have different political affiliations, I want to represent you and I want to hear what you have to say. And I said, so feel free to call me on my cell phone anytime if you feel like you need to set me straight. And he he laughed and, and he said, you know, let me just set you straight right now since I've got you. <laughs> so, so I engaged in a conversation with him and his wife for about 15 minutes at their door. And at the end of the conversation, he said, okay, okay, okay. And I said, okay, what? And he said, I'll vote for you, Lindsay. Uh. 
And I, you know, it was one of those moments and I said to him, well, why, why are you, I mean, you were so firmly opposed to even beginning a conversation with me. And he said, well, if you'll sit here and listen to me, um, for the next, you know, for the last 15 minutes, then I know that you'll be a good representative. And so he said he would vote for me. And then his wife said, oh, well, if my husband's voting for you, then I'll vote for you too. So I got, you know, two votes out of that uh, Republican household, which was uh, very exciting for me, just simply because I listened. And I think that that is so vitally important that we listen, not only to our constituents, but that we actually listen to, I am passionate about listening to my colleagues across the aisle as well. So I've sat down with one of my closest in my region, Republican um, House members already for a cup of coffee. And I have another cup of coffee scheduled with another Republican legislator next week. And so I think, you know, listening to each other and um, being present in each other's realities, I think will make a huge difference politically. Um, I think with that being said, the other piece is that um, of learning has to do with um, how urgent things are. So the same Republican who said that he, you know, would vote for me also told me that financial success for his family is being able to afford Happy Joe's pizza twice a year for his family. Wow. And, you know, for those of you who don't know Happy Joe's, that's a, you know, just a chain restaurant in our, in our area. But, um, I, for me, these, the realities of people that people are facing, um, are, many of them are really bleak. And in Iowa, we've got nearly 40% of Iowans struggling to meet their basic needs. So that's clothing, house, housing, food, um, transportation. So for me, it just feels so urgent that we have to cut through the political partisan bickering and actually solve the realities of, you know, the majority of people here in Iowa, which, um, they're pretty painful realities. So the urgency around that. So, um, I hope that with listening and, you know, openness to walk across the aisle that that can take place. Um, I will, you know, have to let you know how that goes in a, you know, in a Republican, you know, trifecta. So without the checks and balances, so I'm not entirely sure, but I'm certainly going to try. That reminds me of, we had Tabitha Eisner who ran for Congress in Alabama, right, Beth? And she had the most beautiful concession speech. And she talked about like Mm -hmm. how many doors she knocked on where she asked people, it brings tears to my eyes. And they couldn't, they couldn't even name what they wanted for their communities. Yeah, You know, they were, everything was so bleak Mm -hmm. and the future, like there wasn't, they, they were so consumed with the present moment. Like they couldn't even look around and say, what do I want to see? Like they couldn't even answer that question. And sure. that's, that's unacceptable in a nation like ours. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In the wealthiest country, you know, with all that we have and all of our strengths. Yes, it's absolutely unacceptable in a country like ours. Well, Lindsay, we are so excited that you are going to be doing this work. Thank you. And we're excited to stay in touch with you as you do it and kind of follow your journey because I know that you have run a very inspired campaign and I imagine that you're going to be a very inspired legislator. So congratulations. Thank Thank you for coming back and stay in touch, please. Yes, I will. And I have to say, I have a three and a half hour commute to Des Moines when I'm legislating and um, I'm going to be able to catch up on all your podcasts (laughs) as as I commute. So thank you for what you're doing. You need to make sure and get our book on audio too. Yes, that is a great idea. Well, I will add that to the husband uh, Christmas list, wish list for him to buy. Thank you. Thank you. 
We are delighted to be joined by Carrie Hicks, who won her race in Oklahoma. Congratulations, Carrie. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be back with you all. Okay, so catch us up. Tell us about how the race ended and what you're focused on right now. So, I mean, when we last spoke, I guess it was um, right after we had won the primary. So we just kept our ground game strong through the general election, and actually it paid off in a very big way. Um, We won by 20 points, which was a very large... I know we expected it to be much closer than that. So obviously those personal connections and that face-to-face conversation um, really resonated with the voters in our area. So since that time, gosh, November 6th seems like a lifetime ago, um, I was sworn in on November 21st. So I'm actually already. Wow, that's soon. Yes, it is. It's a very fast turnaround. So I think everybody expects you to become very well versed on some very complicated issues um, in a very tight time frame. So I've just continued, um, which I mean, this is my natural approach anyways, is to just say, you know, I I don't know enough about that. Can you tell me more? Um, And kind of opening up some space for that dialogue, I think, has really um, been a a very good um, thing for me personally, because I'm I am um, getting brought up to speed on some really, really important issues that we know we can do better on in Oklahoma. I'm blown away that you've already been sworn in. I'm trying to think. (laughs) So how do you get up to speed on those complex issues? What are you spending your time really thinking about? Yeah. Is there like an orientation process? Do you go through some training? How's it work in Oklahoma? A couple of things. So they had a new member orientation um, that was basically brought on by our uh, majority leadership. And so that was a very, very... um, overwhelming one day. They they put together some really good, like a packet of materials, you know, to kind of reference throughout this process of transition. But ultimately, I mean, it was, it was a lot of information at a very quick pace. So you're trying to connect names with faces on people who are going to be helping you legislatively, you know, the experts in the legal department and how you can be, you know, effective at creating policy that doesn't make things worse, but actually addresses the problems. So that orientation, like I said, it was, you know, a a very quick um, day with a lot of information. Since that time, we've also had our um, caucus retreat. So our um, Democratic caucus took a two-day time frame to, again, just, you know, it was from sunup to sundown, really, of just um, talking about, um, I mean, kind of the common thread as to why we all um, got to this particular point and and what really motivated us throughout our different campaigns. And, you know, it was nice because then we had in one room, you know, you were able to have multiple conversations that would have taken a lot longer to have individually. So um, that caucus retreat was invaluable as well. So just to kind of build some camaraderie among my colleagues. I mean, for for some of that was my very first time to meet them. What's the state of the Oklahoma legislature look like now? How was the midterm election and what kind of climate do you find yourself walking into? So every statewide office was actually won um, by the Republican Party. The Senate is also still um, a majority Republican and so is our House. So it's still very much a red state. Um, I think The really great things that happened, though, were even in some of those um, Republican elections, 
I think we found a, a different kind of Republican coming to our state government that might have a little bit more of a, of a moderate appeal and maybe just a different framework than what we had previously seen as a very, very right-wing platform caucus. So in the Senate in particular, we have nine Democratic members and 48 Republicans. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm most excited about is that we also have nine female senators, which is the most we've ever had in history. And even more exciting is that in the Democratic caucus, five of our members are female, and it is the first time in history we've ever had a majority uh, of female within any caucus. Oh, that's awesome. So what did you learn? Tell us what you learned from your campaign and your primary and what you would tell other women considering running for public office. I think this is a cliche for a reason. Um, you know, I mean, you hear people talk about how this is a marathon and not a sprint. And, you know, you really, you, you can't fully appreciate that sentiment until you are in the thick of it. Um, but it, it really it really is and was in that, I mean, you would go out on the doors for hours and you might, your mental state comes back in whatever shape it is. And you have to find a way to get yourself prepared and ready to go back out the following day. Um, and so, I mean, that, that was very trying. Um, thankfully we kind of created a group of fellow um, female candidates that were running in county, um, county commissioner seat, uh, also in the Senate and in the House. And it was kind of a sounding board to just kind of pick yourself back up and, and head out <laughs> the following day. Um, it was a nice, safe place to be able to kind of share some of those um, frustrations that you can't really fully appreciate unless you are, are in that same space. And so, I mean, my, my husband, God love him. He would try and commiserate, you know, but I, I just think uh -huh. not the same. Was, yeah. You know, and it, I mean, it was kind of helpful to be able to talk to other, I mean, specifically female candidates that were kind of running into some of the same, um, conversations that I was facing. And so, um, you know, that is is essential. And, and I mean, I would tell any any person, whether you're female or male, you know, you've got to find a safe place where you know that you can say some things in the heat of a moment that will be kept safe um, so yeah. that you don't just absolutely, you know, lose your your cool or lose the reasons why you're running in the first place. So find a, a team. <laughs> that can kind of pick you up and dust you off and put you back out there. I know you were focused on healthcare and education when we talked to you during your campaign. Is that still where your heart is? And what do you see as like the first kind of actionable steps you want to be involved in? It, it absolutely is. And so, I mean, really what's been helpful at this point is that um, I've just kind of independently been seeking out people that I, I know need to be at the table on those issues in particular. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm big enough to say, you know, this is not about my ego, but we need to get everyone in the room so that we can start making decisions that are best for our students. And if we as an education community can stay united in our pursuits and our efforts, and um, ultimately, I mean, the strength that we saw last spring, I hope can carry over this legislative session so that we, um, 
can really craft meaningful solutions instead of waiting to see what the leadership will be proposing. And um, we've already mm-hmm. seen here in Oklahoma, you know, a very, very active conversation about educational reforms and how the legislature passed a historic increase uh, to raise the revenue last year. And so now we need to address educational reforms. And I think there's this real sense of almost a, it, it elicits a negative reaction here in Oklahoma because we've had so many attempts to reform education that have truly just made um, the profession of teaching more difficult and not actually uh, addressed the funding mechanisms that we know are are crucial for those reforms to work, right? So um, at this point, I just, I think my real strength lies in in talking to various members in the education community and saying, you know, we don't need to be angry or frustrated or concerned about the conversation around reforms. We just need to be proactive in explaining the reforms that will truly make the biggest difference for all of our students. And so that's really been my approach in trying to to move that conversation forward. Um, I think in the past, education as a whole has kind of played defense instead of being, um, you know, proactive and saying these are the things that would really um, bring the outcomes that you guys want. And so how do we find some compromise and some middle ground on really pushing those conversations forward? And so, um, you know, I've, I've met pretty much with um, what I would consider the big players in this particular issue for education. And um, I'm, I'm optimistic in saying, you know, thankfully on both sides of the aisle, the conversation is very much, you know, we we know now, you know, that the funding that we did pass doesn't even restore what was cut out over a decade. And so I think it was last Wednesday, maybe that the NCES kind of certified some numbers for us, um, which is um, about per pupil expenditures and the funding necessary to be competitive in our region. And the really great thing about our new governor elect is that he continues to kind of talk about how he wants to make Oklahoma a top 10 state in education. And so, you know, I, I really want to be authentic and genuine in in listening to what are some of the things that can make us a top 10 state. And so with these numbers that were released last week, we are so severely behind in the amount of money that we have dedicated um, per pupil expenditures. Our classroom sizes obviously continue to be a main um, component to um, why some of our numbers here locally look a little skewed because we have, you know, one um, teacher with 35 to 40 students. And so that it skews the the number uh, of dollars within that classroom. Um, If you're counting that teacher salary in the in the equation. So um, this report basically said that we needed um, 5000 additional teachers to be able to bring our class sizes down to 1990-1017 reforms here in Oklahoma. So we would need an additional 5,000 teachers and ultimately $777 million additional dollars to bring us to a competitive um, regional uh, average. And so I, I think those numbers are pretty black and white and saying, you know, yes, we made an, a, a very important first step, but we can't stop there. We have to continue to, to talk about what our students deserve. And I and I don't believe that our students deserve to be last. Well, Carrie, it is so 
wonderful to hear that same passion for education and doing the right thing for your students, knowing now that you are a state legislator and have the ability to move some of those reforms forward. Thank you so much for coming back on the show and updating all our listeners. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys so much. And, you know, I continue to be inspired by the conversations that you all have, you know, at the national level. I think it really has resonated with, you know, not only myself, but so many of us across the country in, you know, this very diplomatic approach towards having some of these difficult conversations to to lead to a better place of understanding for all of us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your bra plums solved. 
Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. happy to have Erica McAdoo back with us. Erica ran for the North Carolina State Legislature. Erica, welcome back to Pantsy Politics. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Erica, you had a very exciting election. I don't it's, it really wasn't election day. It stretched much longer than election day. Update us on what happened in your race. It did. We um, had a really great turnout during the early voting period this year and Democrats came out really strong. And unfortunately for my race, the Republicans turned out strong um, during early voting as well, which is a little unusual in our area. And then, but it carried right on through to election day and both parties turned out strong again on election day. And we had a lot of fun. We met a lot of great people. I think we have started some pretty amazing things in Alamance County. We missed it by 298 votes this time, but we were close. And you had recounts, right? We didn't do recounts. We we had them count the provisional ballots, um, all the curbsides, and the supplemental absentee ballots. Oh, and wow. that changed the total by three votes. Um, at that point, we considered a recount. We were still within the 1% to do that. But Alamance uses electronic voting machines, so the chances of that changing were slim to none. And mm-hmm. instead of wasting everyone's time and money, we went ahead and conceded at that point, but you know, strongly encouraged my my opponent to really make sure that the needs of the people of, of all the people of Alamance County are really being heard and represented. And and I hope he'll do that this next two years. What do you attribute all of that turnout to? What do you think really got people motivated in this midterm election? We have been analyzing that for, you know, six weeks now. And, you know, I can't say across North Carolina, I would like to localize my answer to Alamance County. I think we had several things locally that made a difference. My campaign, if I start with that, we started canvassing in March and that was super early. But what that did was allow us time to get my name out there, to build the name recognition and to build that excitement. We had a lot of volunteers from Alamance County, and we had a lot of folks from Durham and from Orange County. Neighbors on Call came in to help, County to County helped, Durham Democratic Women, and the Persisters um, over in in the Hillsborough area. So we were super fortunate there. That excitement, I think, all kind of added an additional layer. And then we also had some women running, whether it was the local level right on up to the state level. And everyone called it the year of the woman. And I think people were really excited to see women out there running. So I think that helped. I think I probably pulled some bipartisan support from women because of that. I know I talked to a lot of women from the other side, as they say, who um, supported me wholeheartedly. And they saw that we may be in different parties, but we have like goals and values and that we just want to make the world a better place. And I did find people across the aisle who who felt that way, too. So that was encouraging. I think we had some interesting things happening with the Silent Sam statue at UNC that came down during the election. Um, that was a pretty hot topic issue in our area. We have some Confederate statues in our county seat, Graham, and that kept coming up. 
we also have a local group called Act Back that um, got pretty engaged and involved, and they do a good job of turning out their base as well when they get riled up, and we saw some of that happen too. So it was interesting. What do you feel like you learned from this campaign and what would you say to another woman considering running for public office for the first time? We learned some specifics about about things, but on a broader scale, I learned to trust my gut. Mm-hmm. The decisions that I made, many of them were questioned throughout the campaign. And time and time again, we would see it play out that what we decided to do was right. That was the best decision. Um, when we questioned things that were being done or things we were being told, Ultimately, we had many folks come back and say, you know what, you guys were right. And um, that was, I guess, gratifying to hear in some way, just because I know that I personally struggle with trusting my gut and I'm getting better at it. I I guess maybe wisdom comes with age is what they say. Um, But I I would tell folks to definitely trust your gut and listen to your instincts. Running a campaign really is a lot like running a business. So if you have done that before and been involved with the business on any level, which I have, it's super helpful because a lot of those same pieces carry over into the campaign world as well. If there's another woman or, you know, a person out there wanting to run for office, especially women, I mean, that's that's really kind of where my heart is right now still. I would say absolutely do it. I mean, there's a lot to take into account, but just because it doesn't seem like the right time, we make all the excuses in the world, Right. Oh, well, I've got to I've got to work on my career some more. And, and what about my kids? And and I don't know if I can do a job and run for office. Yes, you can. You can. You need a good, strong support team. And it's going to take a lot of work, but you can do it and it's worth it. And you will come out a better person for it in the end. How have you come out a better person? What did you really take personally from this process? I learned a lot about different cultures and different people and different groups that are sorely underrepresented and exactly what it means for them to be underrepresented and what does life look like for them on a day-to-day basis because of that. And I learned about ways that I can help currently, and I've started some projects in the community um, just since the election, and I will keep doing those. But then I learned more, too, about, you know, one day when I am in office, how I'll be able to help at that level too, on an even more intimate level, because I became so much more aware of these needs and again, how they impact daily life for these folks. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity in the future. So I was going to ask you what's next for you. It sounds like you're already contemplating your next race. I am. Um, We have some pieces in motion already and things that we are looking at certainly evaluating our options. There are needs in Alamance County still, and this election may not have gone exactly how we wanted it, but it was really close. And I truly believe that the folks who voted for me didn't vote for me. I hope they didn't vote for me just because I'm a Democrat. I hope they voted for me because in me, they saw a representation of what, you know, of someone who would stand up for them, someone who would fight for their needs and someone who feels the same way that they do and that we just want better schools. We want equal access to schools and to great schools for all of our kids. We want to make sure that there's adequate support and funding there. We want to make sure that people have access, equal access to quality, affordable health care. 
and premiums are going up again this year for folks. I'm hearing it left and right. Mine went up and it's really destroying the middle class and, and folks who are just trying to make ends meet and pay their daily bills. It's really tough when your family of four has to pay $1,200, $1,800. I'm also Medicaid expansion. So I think the people who hopefully voted for me were voting for me because of that, because they, they resonated with what I stood for. And those folks voted for me because they didn't have someone currently standing up for those same values. And I think they deserve that. I think that is an awesome note to end on, Erica. Is there anything else that you want people to know, ways that they can be involved with you as, you know, in this kind of in-between season? Yeah, we are still in talks with folks about opportunities for 2019 and 2020, ways to get involved. If people want to check out my Facebook page or my Twitter, my handles are at Erica for NC House, also Instagram. And my website will stay up. It's still up. I'm going to be changing it a little bit, but people can reach out to me through there as well. So if folks want to learn more about how to get involved or what it is that we are doing over in Alamance County, they can reach out that way and get involved. And we'd love to hear from people. Well, that is awesome. I'm so happy to hear that you are looking at staying in the arena and we hope you'll stay in touch with us in that process. I will do it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope you are enjoying the holidays. Have a happy new year. We will be back with you on January 1st with our wish list for 2019. Until then, keep it new on still. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.